Well, again, uh, good morning. It's uh, my privilege to be able to, to preach to you this morning. Um, this morning, I'm going to give a, a brief report on uh, some missions trips, two recent missions trips that uh, went out to, to Bush, Alaska. Um, but if you want more stories, if you want uh, more details, if you want pictures, you need to come back tonight. Because at 5 o'clock uh, right here, from 5 to 6, um, we're going to be uh, giving reports in Worship in the Round, which is our, our, uh, our first service Sunday night. So we'll be here, and it will be, uh, I, I think it'll be enjoying. I think it'll be, uh, be uh, interesting for you. So um, come, back, uh, come back tonight at 5 if, uh, if you're interested. Um, so a couple weeks back, uh, there were two separate teams from Grace Christian School that, that left and went to, uh, to uh, some villages in, in western Alaska. Uh, Thirteen students and seven adults uh, made up these two different teams. They went to, to four different villages. Um, the villages were Nulato, Koyuk, Gamble, and Makoryuk. And uh, these are four different villages, four different people groups, there are different villages that have their own uh, distinct personality as, as a village, um, and, and really four different levels of gospel presence in those, those villages. And we, uh, we partner with the local schools, the public schools in each of these villages to, uh, to, to plan our trips, and this helps us with accommodations. And it also gives us the greatest opportunity uh, to serve and to have interaction with uh, with students, and so it's uh, it's something we've been doing for uh, quite a long time. Um, it's been uh, with Nulato, uh, the first village that we went to, and it's been I think 22 years we've been working with them uh, somewhere in there. So uh, it's been a long time, but it's been a, it's it's a huge blessing. And so uh, I thought I'd give you one quick insight, just, just a, a little uh, whet your appetite, hopefully, uh, from each village that we went to, um, just a little, a little tidbit, and then uh, hopefully you'll, you'll come back and hear more tonight. But uh, in Nulato, uh, the school did not have a custodial team. Can you imagine having a school with no one to clean up after the staff? I mean, the children, all right? I mean, that would be, that would be a problem, right? And so... Uh, what a what a challenge, and so our team cleaned and served them while they were there, and and just worked like crazy, and and served so lovingly that the principal as well as the community uh, just really experienced the, the the Lord's love there. So that was that was wonderful, um, and the team also was an encouragement to uh, missionaries that uh, that call Nulato their home in Koyak. The school, uh, we had talked about this before, the school had been uh, without water uh, when we went for over two months. Uh, they probably will not have water in the, in the school of Koyak um, until uh, June. Uh, if you know anything about Bush, Alaska, things tend to get a little firm in the winter, and uh, it's kind of hard to do, do the work you need to do. So it'll be June before their school has water. Uh, imagine that one. Um, but our team not only went and went willingly and excitingly, but they went with, with gracious hearts just really enjoying uh, serving there with actions, with words, and, 
and just uh, proved to be a, a huge encouragement to, uh, to the community uh, amidst this uh, challenging time that they're going through now. In Gamble, uh, we returned to this uh, remote town, and us uh, returning to them, our school returning them, was met with excitement. And uh, this was from both the students and the communities. Um, we served in the school tutoring and teaching students there, and, uh, and this led to opportunities to have spiritual conversations, gospel conversations with, with the students and, and the staff, and that was, that was uh, wonderful. That was amazing. In Makoriuk, this is the first time we had been to the village of uh, Makoriuk, and I'll talk a little bit about a little bit more about McCorrick here in a couple minutes, but uh, this is our first time to this village of reindeer and musk ox herders, and uh, it brought us opportunities for sweet, sweet Christian fellowship in both the school and the local church. And uh, it was so encouraging to see uh, teenagers, a, a, a couple of the teenagers that genuinely love Jesus and are active in their church. Just so so encouraging to be there. Uh, with them and, and enjoy that time with them. So, as a matter of fact, uh, much of what I'm going to share with you today was a sermon that they had asked me to to uh, to share on Sunday morning that we were in Macoriak, and so um, a lot of what I'll, I'll share this morning is is what I shared with them uh, while we were there. And so, uh, I entitled this sermon, uh, "The Gospel is for All People," and. And it re- it really is. Um, turn, if you would, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, I want to read verses uh, 1 through 11. This is, uh, will be the, the main text uh, for today. But, but we're going to go all over the place today. And, and I think you'll see why here in a minute. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, by which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace towards me was not in vain. On contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Well, as this passage uh, points us out, uh, first of all, uh, there is a moment in time when people believe, when you are saved. There is a moment of time. 
It, it, uh, it says there in verse 1, uh, I preached to you the gospel which you received in which you stand. There is a moment in time. There's a particular moment in time. I'm sure you're familiar with, with Roman 10, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe you in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are what? You are saved. Okay? There's a moment in time you are saved. There's a moment in time where, where you are saved. As we were preparing for our, our trips out to the villages, um, a friend of ours, uh, Curtis Ivanoff, uh, grew up in Unalakleet, a Nupiak man. Uh, he, uh, he shared about the history of the gospel first coming to Macoriuk. And uh, Macoriuk's a village uh, between the mouth of the Kuskokwim River and the Yukon River. If you're familiar with western Alaska, two massive rivers there, uh, Kuskokwim and the Yukon. And Macoriuk is, is basically right in the middle of there, and it's on Nunavak Island. It's the only village on the island. And uh, uh, people typically uh, go down waterways to uh, get deeper into the country and to see more people and to navigate quicker. And so uh, as they would go, they would either choose the Kuskokwim and they go that way or they'd choose the Yukon and go that way. But everyone kind of would go by Nunavak Island. They'd go by Makoriuk. Uh, why would you stop there? And so uh, um, the people of the village started hearing that missionaries were going up the Yukon and, and telling this, this good news, this gospel, uh, up the Yukon, and they're going on the Kuskokwim, and they're telling this good news and this gospel, but no one ever stopped in Macoriuk to, uh, to tell the good news of the gospel. And so they, they really wanted to, to hear what this, what this was about. And so um, they uh, indeed followed, uh, followed some some missionaries and, and caught up with them on the Yukon and said, please come to our village. Please come and tell us. Uh, we we, we want to know. And, and so missionaries, you know, thought about it and they and went back. And they, the missionaries did come down and they, they went to the village of, uh, of Makoriuk. Um, there, there was no one in the village of Makoriuk because it was summertime. Where is everyone during summertime? Fish camp. I mean, you got to survive, right? So everyone's at their fish camps are spread out all over the island. It's a, it's a, it's a very large island. And so uh, what the missionaries did, they would stop at fish camp and fish camp, and they would, they would share and talk to people, and people were receptive to hear this, this good news, this gospel that, that they had heard about but had never, had never heard of. So um, later, uh, an Inupiaq, uh, the Inupiaq people, and, and uh, they sent a couple uh, down to Macoriak to start the, a gospel work down there. And, uh, and it is, is true. There is a time and place when people hear and they believe. Okay? They hear and they believe. But second, we are told here in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, um, it says, and by which you are being saved. Which you are being saved. That's a different thing. So you are saved and you are being saved. And I, I, I think you probably know this is, the, this is the, uh, the process of sanctification. It's what we call sanctification. So you are being saved as, as, as you go about. So you're saved a moment in time and then you are being saved. And that's what, what Paul is trying to, to point out here. Um, so when a person is saved, the process of sanctification, sanctification, I can say it, I promise, uh, it moves them and changes them to be more like Christ. And that's what, what 
happens in, in, in sanctification. Um, and so God is transforming them to be more, more like Jesus. And then that, uh, that verse continues on. It says, uh, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And that's a, that's a pretty interesting uh, uh, statement to, uh, to make, and we need to, we need to look at this uh, a little bit. It's not saying that a true believer uh, loses their faith or, 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 or rejects their faith. That's not what it's saying. Um, rather, it is saying as one lives out their life, the end of their life points to whether their faith in Christ was real or not. Okay? Was real or not. Um, I, I like uh, what the author of Hebrews uh, said about this in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verses 12 through 14. Read that to you quick. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And so the, uh, you know, the author of Hebrews is speaking uh, to how we finish. That's, that's, what he is, uh, that's what he's referring to. That's what he's talking about. That's what we can tell. But Jesus spoke to this, uh, this exact thing in, in Luke chapter 8. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the parable of the soils. And uh, this is a parable that Jesus told to his disciples. And, uh, and it's the you know, scattering of, of the seed, the word of God, and it, it lands on the soil. And there was different types of soil. And so his disciples asked him to explain that to him. And so in Luke chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 9, he, he did explain this to his disciples. He said this, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So, this is Jesus explaining that the heart of a person, it can be very different. The soil of someone's heart is very different. And we don't necessarily know. And there are times when they initially receive the word that we're, we're not exactly sure what that means. We're not exactly sure. We hope we know, but we don't know. But time has this role of exhibiting the condition of a person's heart. Okay? 
I think we probably all know of someone who has fallen to the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. Is that not a huge temptation for, for our culture, for our country? Well, the gospel is not new. This uh, good news, that's what gospel means, good news, uh, has been communicated since before Jesus' resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago. Yes, I did say, since before Jesus' resurrection from the dead 2,000 years ago. And that's what we're going to look at today. You know, the gospel has, has uh, the good news of Jesus Christ has taken a lot of blows, and, and people have done all kinds of different things with this through the, uh, the centuries, right? I mean, just, just a lot. But let me tell you what the gospel is not. God, the gospel is not made up by Jesus' disciples to save face after he died. The gospel is not from Peter. It's not from James or John. And it's also not from the Apostle Paul. It did not evolve as humans looked to make sense of what they were experiencing. It's not made up by religious leaders or kings so that they could maintain power. It's not an invention of Western culture uh, to make sense of the world. Uh, some have said it's a white man's idea. It's not a white man's idea. It was not hijacked. It is not something that belongs to the United States. And it's not something that's just found its clarity in the United States. None of that is true. None of that is true. It is not of a certain people group nor tribe. In Mark 11, Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah and said, For my house will be called of house of prayer for all the nations. All the nations. Revelation 7, 9, Every nation and tribe and people and language will be represented around the throne, worshiping the Lord. This is for all people. But... As humans do, we try and make things our own understanding. But that's not true. There is one basis, there is one record, there is one truth for the gospel, and it's right here in God's Word. It's right here in God's Word. Not here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15.3, we are told very clearly where the truth of the gospel comes from. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In accordance with the Scriptures. You say, well, it's, it's a Jewish thing. Well, the Jews, in Jesus' time, they were looking for a Messiah that was going to uh, have a military victory and kind of free them from Roman tyranny and, and uh, cleanse, uh, you know, and, and get back to the glory days, right? I mean, that's what they were... That's what they were looking for, who would be free Israel. But that wasn't accurate. And that's not what God's Word said. Now, this will not be an exhaustive look at the gospel through God's Word. It can't be. Um, I would encourage you to dig for yourself 
as to where God, the gospel is uh, proclaimed all through God's word, starting in Genesis and going all through. So I would, I would encourage you to do that. But this is not a. Hopefully, this is just an encouragement for you to to go there uh, yourself. But I hope that you get the point that Jesus' self-sacrificial death, his burial, and his resurrection was God's plan from the beginning. From the beginning, Genesis three fifteen, we see the first mention of this gospel and what all this is is about. Again, the Jews were looking for a a Messiah that would be a ruler, a military Messiah. But that was not it. That was not it. So one of the things that our teams, as we went out on our trips, did in preparation for our our trips was we, we sought out to memorize Isaiah chapter 53. And so I'd invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. And I would, by the way, encourage you, if you do not uh, know Isaiah chapter 53, I would encourage you to memorize Isaiah chapter 53. It's an amazing passage of scripture that, that just the gospel is clearly there. It's, it's just clearly there. You can't, you can't deny it. So let me read Isaiah 53. I'm just going to read a few verses um, starting in verse 3 through verse 7. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. If, if you see, he's wounded for our transgressions in verse 5. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is not blowing it out of proportion. This is not grandiose. No, this is accurate. He was crushed for our iniquities. And then upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He paid the penalty, the chastisement, to bring us peace. To bring us peace. With his stripes, we are healed. With the flogging, the ripping open of his back before he went to the cross, making his his whole back and body like... Uncooked hamburger. 
That, that is what happened. And by those stripes, by those whippings, we, we are the ones who receive the blessing. We are the ones who are healed. A chastisement that brought us peace. Amazing. And then we go to, it, it, it jumps and it goes to sheep, which you're probably pretty familiar with sheep language, you know, in, in the Bible. It's all over, right? We've got lots of sheep language in the Bible. We're, we get it. But as you're reading along here, sheep, where did sheep come from? What does that have to do with anything? It's a great question. And we'll talk about that. But he goes, all we like sheep have gone astray. And we have turned every one to his own way. If there's one thing that we as human beings are really, really good at, it's about doing our own thing when we want to do it, right? We're really good at that. We don't, you don't need no training. You don't need an education to do what you want to do when you want to do it. We're really, really good at that, you know? And so sheep, they go their own way. They do their own thing. And then it says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity, the sin, the evil things that you and I have done. Where in the Bible do we find out about sin? Where do we read about that? Just about everywhere, right? (laughs) Just about everywhere. You can, uh, you know, Israel as a nation... They got all kinds of sin involved there, and we can read about that. The kings, we got all kinds of uh, things we can read about there. In the, gospel, in the book of Acts, we got it all there. How about a little bit earlier? How about let's go to, like, say, the first couple of brothers, Cain and Abel. We got some sin there. How about Noah? We got some sin involved there? Yeah, like almost everybody, right? So sin's all over uh, Scripture, we can find it many, many places. You don't just have to look uh, there. But, but one of the places that's you know, the most common, that I, I'm, I, would, I would be uh, surprised if you didn't have uh, these memorized. You know, Romans 3.23, very simply, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, every one, every one, sinner, fall short of the standard that God has put in place. Every one of us falls short of that. In Romans 6.23, equally as simple and yet straightforward. The wages of sin is death. Wages, what you get for what you do, right? You go to work, you work, you get wages for your work, right? That's what happens. You go and they pay you. They give you something, Hopefully it's money. might not be. But they give you something for your work. That's the wages that you receive. Well, the wages that our sin gets us is death. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ of our Lord. The free gift. It's not earned. You didn't earn it. Your wages did not earn it. What you do does not earn it. It's a free gift that is available for you. Okay? It's, it's simple. We, we know this. And so this message from Isaiah here is written 
Over 700 years before Jesus was born, this is proclaimed that here's what's going to happen. And we read it there, and it is, it is very clear. Um, again, the, the lamb's a little bit of a, of a strange analogy. And, and in verse 7, it says here, um, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Again, what, what does the lamb have to do with anything? Where'd that come from? Well, we know. We know. But the lamb here, it talks about, it talks about Jesus. And you say, well, how, 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 can, how can we be sure that that is really talking about Jesus? Well, there's a couple of, of ways. One, um, in, in the Gospel of John, John the baptizer sees, uh, sees Jesus walking on the shore. And what does he say about him? Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he says. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we're going, well, okay, talk to me a little bit about this Lamb. What, what, what is, is all of this? The Lamb that was on slaughter did not open his mouth. Jesus, when he was on trial, Pilate marveled that he didn't rebuff the uh, charges that were brought against him. Pilate, the man who's delivering the senses, the sentence on Jesus three times said, I find no guilt in this man. What has he done? Three times. And so naturally, if you say, I find no guilt in him three times, what's the next thing you do? You sentence him to death. That makes total sense, right? That's, that's what happened. Why? Because it was God's plan from the beginning. That's why. And so let's look a little bit at this lamb, and, and, and this lamb uh, points to, we got, we got to go back to the Exodus. we got to go back to Exodus chapter 12. And uh, the Exodus is, is the most memorial of all celebrations, the Passover meal, okay, um, through the Exodus was, was the most holy uh, meal there that was, that was celebrated, and, uh, and it was... Uh, instituted more than 1,400 years before Christ was born. Okay, so we got 700. Now we're going back. We got 1,400 years before Christ was born. This meal is, it's, and again, we, we are looking back, but let's look at it at that time. So you're, you're there. You're, you're a slave in Egypt. You're trying to get there. We got the plagues coming, and the last plague is the angel of death coming, and it's, and it's the Passover lamb, right? And so the instructions are, okay, here's what, here's what you're going to do. We're going we're gonna to make it so that you guys will be freed from your slavery, okay? And what you're going to do is you're going to take a lamb, and you're going to kill this lamb. Excuse me? This, this is what we're going to do? This is what you're going to do. Yeah, and you're going to put its blood on the doorframe. That's what you're going to do. And here's how you're going to eat it. Let's, let me read uh, just, just a few verses from Exodus 12, starting verse 7. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat it, the flesh at night, that night, roasted in the fire with unleavened bread, bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted with its heads, its legs, and its inner parts, that you shall let none of it remain until morning. 
Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass over the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. We know this story. This makes a lot of sense to us, but think about Think about Israel, the nation of Israel, the Israelites in those days, the Passover lamb. They're going, he wants to what? So there's, there's no leaven in our bread. It's just like, you know, tortillas. I don't know. Lefsa, for those of you, Dan. Lefsa, yeah. Uh, but um, so there's no leaven in it. We just got it. Our bags are packed. Our staff, we're ready to go. We're eating it in haste. We're roasting it. We're not boiling it. We're not, we're roasting it. We're eating it all. Anything that's left over, you got to burn, burn it all, get rid of it all. There's nothing left. Everything's gone. Eat it all. Bags are packed, ready to go. Be ready. Oh yeah. And put blood on the doorpost and on the lintel above your house so that the angel of death will pass over and will not, will not kill the firstborn in your house. Doesn't that sound like a little odd way to set up a celebration to you? It does to me, and I'm sure it did to them. Going lamb, okay. Perfect lamb, unblemished. All right. But all of this, all of this, they said they were to remember, but it was all pointing to Jesus. That's what it was. That's why John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover lamb, 1,400 years before Jesus was born, was pointing to what he came to do, his mission. And that's, that's the way God had it set up. So back in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 4, it says... <clears throat> That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Where is that recorded? Raised on the third day. Is that recorded? Is that really? Is that really prophesied in there? Well, yeah, it is. The gospel writers quoted Psalm 16 and Psalm 22 listing prophecies regarding Jesus' death and burial, as well as others. But one place that, uh, that we can look quickly is uh, the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea spoke um, in Hosea chapter 6 about this, verses 1 and 2. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, that he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And so Hosea spoke till Jesus being risen from the dead after three days. But, but where else? About the book of Jonah. You familiar with the book of Jonah? I think you are. If you've been in church at all since 
the age of three on up, you've, you've probably heard uh, the, the story of Jonah. I would hope you would. Do you believe that the, uh, the book of Jonah was an accurate description? Thrown into the sea? Swallowed by a great fish? Oh, by the way, in Gamble, we don't say great fish. We say whale. The reason we say whale is they are whale hunters. That's what they do. If anybody knows whales, the people in Gamble know whales. If they can see, if you can say, could someone really survive inside of a whale? They can go, yeah, there's plenty of room. I've been, you know, I've been right in there several times. They've got whale bones all over the beach. And they're big. <laughs> they're big. So we say whale. The Bible technically says great fish. You figure that out, I don't know. But the message of judgment and repentance was to go to Israel's enemies, the Ninevites, right? Jonah said, ain't doing it. I hate those people. Those people are evil. And they were. Those people are our enemies. And they were. And God said, go to them and tell them. Forty days, you're destroyed. And so he goes and delivers the, uh, the most amazing sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. See ya. And he leaves. And that's it. And what do they do? Heart broken. Repentance. They were ready to repent. So you go, well, it's a great story, but I'm not sure I totally buy it. Jesus believed it. Jesus believed it very well. Knew it was fact. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus' treatment of Jonah was, it was truth. It was correct. It was a sign hundreds of years before he was born pointing to what Jesus was going to do. It was a prophetic sign. That's what Jesus knew, and that's what Jesus told people. Okay? So Jesus, three days in the earth and being raised again, it was all prophesied. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, um, witnesses. Witnesses are a big deal. It says uh, that uh, there, were, there were many witnesses that Jesus appeared to, uh, Cephas or Peter, uh, the disciples, over 500 people at one time he appeared to them, and then to Paul, and there was many more. That's just, that's just some here that, that Paul is listening, but there was many more. Uh, occurrences that were there. Um, Deuteronomy 19.15, it tells us that there must be two or three witnesses for a charge to be established against a person. Two or three witnesses in order for that to be counted as a, as a, a legal charge, a legal uh, thing against someone. Witnesses were very, very important in Hebrew law. 
Um, and, and is that not the same in our day? I mean, personal witnesses in a court, that's compelling evidence, is it not? Especially when they all line up and they say the same thing, and you have two or three coming from different things. Line, witnesses are very, very important. That, nothing's changed. That's, that's huge. That's very important. Well, this more than adequately fulfills the requirement of there being witnesses there. And it fulfills the requirement of modern witnesses as well. Let's, let me just look at just a couple of instances where Jesus' resurrected body was witnessed, okay? Bear with me if you would. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus uh, himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. Now this, I I should have told you, this is, I I think you know, but this is after Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and he's appearing to his disciples. Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And so he goes... And he is with his disciples, and they touch him, and they put their fingers in his hands and in his feet, and they put their hand in his side, and they're still freaked out, and understandably so, right? But he says, do you have anything to eat? And so he eats. Physical food eats in front of them. All of this is strong evidence that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. I mean, they've they've seen that. Well, Thomas wasn't with him, and we know Thomas, don't we? Oh, we know Thomas. Yes, we do. So Thomas wasn't with them, and uh, in John 20, uh, verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the hands... And the mark of the nails in my place, my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Was it that cocky? I don't know. But uh, it was pretty bold. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. Although the the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Have you noticed how he starts out with peace be with you every time? I think that's that's probably a good thing. Peace be with you. (laughs) Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas was seen as the uh, doubting Thomas. But when he came Face to face with the risen Lord, only one conclusion, my Lord, my God, because he believed. 
And and the end of this chapter uh, of Luke chapter 20, verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why it's written, that you will hear and you will believe in Jesus Christ. He, uh, he also appeared to James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, they didn't believe in him early on. They actually were saying, don't embarrass the family. Come home. Come on, don't do this. But in Acts chapter 15, Jesus' brother James, because Jesus went and appeared to him as well, was a leader in the church. He was a leader in the early church. So James not only believed, but he's all in. So make no mistake, Jesus knew he was God's sacrifice for the sin of humankind from the beginning. From the beginning. I won't take time to read the road of Emmaus, but on the road to Emmaus from Luke chapter 24, if you read if you read there, it talks about how Jesus came along, these two, and they were talking about all these things that, go on, that, that were going on. And Jesus explained things about himself from Moses and the prophets all the way through. He explained, it's about me. It's about me. It's about me. He explained it to them. And they were obviously blown away. Well, it's a privilege for us to bring the good news of God's love to people in our own state. And it's not our message. It's not our message. It's, it's God's message. We just get to have a small role in delivering that message, in bringing it there, in opening our mouths and telling God's truth. Well, my plea for you today is that you would what Jesus said to Thomas in John twenty twenty seven. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, this is not man's word. It's not made up. It's not uh, some concoction of collections of stories. God, this is your truth. The evidence is so overwhelming. And we thank you that you have opened up our hearts and minds to understand the good news of your son Jesus. I pray your blessings on my brothers and sisters this week, and I pray that they would walk with you and love you and pursue you with everything they have. And I pray that you would move them on that path to be more like Jesus. Thank you, Father, for our time together, and thank you for your word. And we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, in whose holy name we pray. Amen.